Our reading is from Isaiah 61 through 6, the ingathering of the dispersed. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. He then sent to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the one living God, amen. amen. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. And going into the house, they saw the child and paid him homage. Then they departed to their own country by a different way. 
Well, my friends, it's all over. It's all behind us for another year. The event, the decorations, the celebrations happened in the last couple of weeks as Matthew and Luke charmed us with tales about angels and shepherds, a villain named Herod, a baby in a manger, and heroes like the Magi. The 12 days of Christmas are now up, and our calendars turn over to a new year. It was as though our, quote, normal life was interrupted by a huge dream, or maybe for some, a huge nightmare, that involved chaotic days of shopping, cooking, eating, gift-giving and receiving, partying and dancing, worshiping, and lots and lots of singing. Just think how much the music carried us through the season. Come all you faithful, hark the herald angels sing. The congregations at all of the St. John services joining in through the flickering candles with Silent Night. And then on Christmas morning, joy to the world, the Lord has come. And finally, with clapping hands and stomping feet, we joyfully belt out, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Now, it's all over. Or is it? Suddenly, we are thrust into a brand new liturgical season. And I wonder if Epiphany is really given its due. I've even heard it described as being sandwiched in between Christmas and Lent like a piece of wilted lettuce aimed at allowing us to settle down and recover from the tumult of the holidays. But hold on. Let's not settle down quite yet. Because it could be that this story, this epiphany experience, is really meant to unsettle us. Certainly it challenges our imagination. Probably one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. Countless artists have rendered this scene on canvas. Numerous hymns are attributed to it. So much has been made of this story about which we know so little that we are left to fill in many of the blanks ourselves. Were there really three? There's no mention of their names in this gospel. Where in the east do they come from? How long did it take them to get to Bethlehem? How old was Jesus by the time they got there? And what about that star? What are we supposed to make of that? So even though the facts can be very important, there are those times when the facts don't matter as much as the stories themselves. And stories you know can be true whether they happened or not. Barbara Brown Taylor writes, you don't have to do archeology span to find out if they're genuine or spend years in a library combing ancient texts, there's another way home. You just listen 
to the story. Let it come to life inside of you. And then you decide on the basis of your own tears or laughter whether the story is true. It's always a good idea to watch other people who have listened to the story and see how they've been affected. So listen to this unsettling story and see what comes alive within us. I think Matthew wants us to remember that the first people to know about uh, that a king had been born in Israel, to know that good news, were not Israelites. They weren't Jews. They were Gentiles, foreigners, people from another land. And yes, many of the Jews were hoping that God would send someone who would liberate them from the Roman domination and restore their freedom. But interestingly, the Jews were not the first to know the Messiah had been born. It was Gentiles, the outsiders. From the very beginning, what God was doing for the world is for everyone, not even limited to the community of faith. If you want to know what God is doing in the world, live life. Watch what's happening in the world. Look around you. What do you see? Listen to the people you encounter. What do you hear? What is speaking to your deepest need? If you're looking for God, listen to those around you who long for God without knowing it. Listen to those who experience God without naming it. Listen to those who respond to God without realizing it. Wake up. Pay attention and appreciate the unexpected ways in which God is revealed in this world. Listen again to the story. The Magi brought valuable gifts to Christ, each with a symbolic interpretation. Gold for a king, frankincense for the God, and myrrh for him who is to die. Now, which gift do you suppose was the most valuable of all? Gold, frankincense, or myrrh? Well, actually, none of these. Not none, none of these three, because if we really listen to the story, we'll discover that there was a fourth gift, and it's been here in this story all along. Matthew mentions it three times, which is more than he mentions any of the others. So it must be more central to the story and to his understanding of the gospel. You see, the fourth gift is to pay homage, to come, to follow, and to give one's whole being to Christ. The phrase first appears early in the story when the Magi acknowledge that they undertook the journey specifically to pay homage. And then tricky Herod 
alleges that he too wants to come and pay homage, which of course he never had any intention of doing. And when the Magi at long last arrive, what did they do? They knelt down and paid homage. So Matthew's story begins with homage, continues with homage, and ends with homage. Nothing could be clearer. By far the most valuable gift that is to be offered to Christ is homage. The complete and absolute giving of ourselves to Christ. So God's gift is for all. And when we have received God's gifts, we offer our own. The ball is returned to our court. And we're given the chance to engage and to respond to what God has done for us. But the story isn't over yet. Keep listening. There's one more line. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another way. Those who followed the star and discovered God in the humblest of circumstances were changed forever. That encounter rearranged their lives, their self-images, and maybe even their pocketbooks. Oddly, this story leaves us somewhat hanging by not letting us know how it all came out in their own land. Perhaps it was years before the people to the east even ever heard of the good news. But you and I go to the manger every year. Doesn't seem that hard to find. In the past two weeks, we've been there again. We've seen the star and borne the gifts. We made a lot of the usual fuss. And now, like the Magi, we're back on familiar turf, settling down pretty much to normal. And yet, if we will, we too have a whale of a story to tell about what we found in the manger. We've been given a message that in this historical event of the humanization of God in Jesus, the very meaning of all life and history are to be encountered. And that that encounter comes, in that encounter comes the power of salvation to make us all children of God. This is Christ. This is his meaning as he comes among us. This is the message. Now, what do we do with it? You see, Christ Christmas is not meant to leave us <clears throat> with nothing more than a child's perception of what it means to see a baby in a manger scene. It's meant to take us to the level of spiritual maturity where we are capable of seeing a manger in the manger the meaning of an empty tomb. It is meant to enable us to see through the dark days of life to the stars beyond them. 
and it's meant to keep us from succumbing to the temptation to become overwhelmed by doubt and discouragement and despair as we journey from the high roads and through and out of the dark valleys among terrorist attacks, ongoing civil wars, and insanity that takes the lives of our children all over the world. But even though we try to follow the star, the gospel, we can't expect people to believe all that we say just because we say it. We learned long ago, or we should have, that nobody believes much of anything until they're shown. We found the king of the universe at Christmas, we tell them. By the way, he's that baby in the cow stall. He's the word, the prince of peace. And he became flesh and lived and lives among us. But nobody much listens. Nobody, that is, until all our talk and song and tinsel and light itself becomes flesh. That's when God's peace and justice and goodwill and joy to the world come alive in our time, in us. So maybe Christmas isn't over at all. Maybe it's just beginning. And perhaps Epiphany shouldn't be likened to a piece of wilted lettuce, but a season to purposely unsettle us. Because in short, my friends, we have work to do. As civil rights leader Howard Thurman once wrote, when the song of angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to rebuild nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart, to pay homage to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.